0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to continue our series on love. And so this week we're discussing love and the role it plays in correction. It's the first line there in your notes. The the role it plays in correction. Correction. Now, when most people hear the word correction, they immediately think back to being a child when they did something wrong and their parents had to correct them. And they, they immediately might tense up or they might kinda, ooh, when you talk about correction because they feel like, oh man, this is painful and it's going to uh, come down to some form of pain before it's over when there is some type of correction. <clears throat> but as children, um, when, we, when we associate um, these two things together, correction and punishment, it's almost as if we take the word punishment and say, well, correction is just a big fancy word that my parents use for punishment. And so um, as children, we quickly learn an incomplete idea of correction as we associate it to punishment. And what, I wanna, what, what I'm trying to get you to understand is that correction does not always equal punishment. Like if you're driving in your car and you're going somewhere that you've never been before, you're going out on a date with your husband or your wife and you're, you're driving and the GPS says, you know, make a right turn and you miss it for some reason. It just says recalculating and then tells you to take the next turn and it corrects your mistake. And in in that scenario, there's not really any punishment there. Maybe just, you know, having to drive a few extra moments or minutes in the car, but there's not really any punishment. It's just correcting something that went wrong. And so tonight, um, I want to address this idea of of correction and how love applies to it. Now, uh, when I was little and I would, uh, when I was really little and I would mouth off to my mom, which never happened. Let's just say that. Um, When I'd mouth off to my mom and I was a really little guy, she would um, just kind of take the opportunity to correct me herself. But as I got a little bit older and as I got a little bit older and a little bit bigger and I would mouth off to my mom, which again, never happened. uh, She would say something that if you're my age or close to my age, you are probably familiar with. She would say, go to your room and wait for your dad to get home. Right. Whoever said that your dad to get home. Right. And so I would go in there. So it could have been 20 minutes. It could have been three hours and 20 minutes. And I would have just sat there and going through all the stages of grief. Right. Like denial, blame until I get all the way down to acceptance. Like, oh, I know it's coming. And so I'd hear the door open and my dad would come home and I heard him and mom talking and then it got quiet and then I heard the, the, the footsteps coming down the hallway and then the door opened and I knew my correction was coming. And he would sit down. And I don't know if you're like me, but every once in a while, my dad would say something that would just be totally confusing to me. He would say this. He would go, son, you know, he'd review what I did and how I mouthed off to my mom, I'm not supposed to be doing that. And he you know, explained to me what was about to happen. And then right before he corrected me uh, physically, he said he would say something like, this hurts me more than it hurts you and or he would say something else like um um, i'm doing this because i love you and at that moment i had a stark revelation my dad was nuts he was crazy because i was like wait what are you talking about you love me so you're going to cause pain to me i don't love pain you don't love pain let's just work something else out here right and i can never really talk myself out of it Um, because I was crying or hysterical or whatever, trying to get out, out out of the correction that was coming. And he would say those things to me, and I would think, man, how in the world does this make any sense? And then, as I got older and got married, and I had a child, I understood what I couldn't see as a younger person. I didn't understand that my dad was trying to ward off behavior that would grow in me that was incorrect i didn't understand that he had seen people go down these paths before and he didn't want me to suffer down that road and so although i couldn't understand it he took the opportunity to correct me and when i became a father i realized something i didn't know as a child that love and correction go hand in hand love and correction go hand in hand. To the immature, love and correction don't mix. but, to the, but the mature know that love corrects. The mature understand that love corrects. <clears throat> this seemingly strange blend of love and correction is actually exampled to us by God in Hebrews chapter 12, verses five through 11. Here's what it says. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one as he accepts, um, each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Right at the, the, one of the first few lines there, it says, My child, don't take light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when He corrects you. That word corrects in the the original language the Bible was written is defined as to train children to be instructed or taught or learn as a father would punish his son. It also is a word that is said of those who were molding the character of others by reproof and admonition. So when the Lord corrects us, He is molding our character through instruction, teaching, and sometimes punishment, similar to what a child would receive from their father. I want to go back and, and, and find a different um, part of the Bible that really reflects this. And there's are several areas, and the one that I really felt compelled and drawn to this week to share with you is in the Old Testament book of Hosea, and use this as an example of God's correction. <clears throat> now Hosea is a prophet of the Lord to Israel. He is someone who God uses to communicate to his people. He's someone that God uses to communicate to his people. So in the Old Testament, here's how this was set up. A prophet would hear from the Lord, the Lord would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would deliver the message to Israel or to Judah or to another nation that he was trying to warn of something, to to stop something that they were doing. Or he would meet with the, the, the leaders of that area or the leaders of the tribes, and then they would take that message back to the people of God. Now, Hosea lived approximately 800 years before Christ was born. It's the next line there in your notes. He lived approximately 800 years before Christ was born. So they have had a long period of time where God is not pleased at all with Israel. They have continually chosen other gods and other ways to live that God has forbidden them to pursue in the past. They've turned to worshiping the first god Baal, B-A-A-L for your notes, or Baal, depending how obnoxious you are, and followed in the it's dad joke, sorry. And followed in the way of the Canaanites who worshiped the pagan god Moloch, where which we have discussed before, which um, one of the major things Moloch required was child sacrifice. They have done this over and over again spanning several decades. They didn't just start doing this a couple of weeks ago, or wander off the path a few months ago. They have been doing this for an extended period of time, and God, in His sovereign decision, makes the choice to say, "I'm going to step in here and correct them." He sent. He sent uh, previous prophets to warn them, to tell them, don't go down this road, don't participate in this, this false idol worship, don't go down this, this pathway that's going to lead to destruction. And they have, had, they have ignored all of the prophets up until this point. Here is where Hosea enters the picture. Hosea, at this point, has never had a word from God that he's going to give to the people. This is his first one. And I don't know about you, but I kind of put myself in in the position of Hosea thinking, man, if I was one of those prophets, what would I think? I mean, I'd heard stories of Elijah and Elisha. I've heard stories of fire coming out of heaven and burning up the altar and the, and the water. I've heard all these stories of these, these great prophets and the things that they had done and the Samuel and how he corrects Saul and Nathan, how he deals with David and historically all of these prophets. And so if I'm Hosea, I'm thinking, here we go. First one is up for me. Here's gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna speak something here for God. I'm gonna tell all of Israel what He wants to say, and so I'm excited. I'm getting moved from you know the the, the 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 bullpen or whatever, and I'm getting out into the game. I'm not warming up. I'm going to the batter's box. So here it comes. All right, the very first word that Hosea delivers to the people of Israel. Hosea one verse two. Here we go. Then the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea. He said to him, Excitement's building. Here he comes. Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. If I'm Hosea, I'm like... Wait, what? Like, my first thing that I say to Israel, the first word that I get from you to deliver, the, the word of the Lord, and I got to go marry a prostitute? To illustrate to Israel how they're acting like a prostitute by turning against you? That had to be a wild shock to Hosea. But Hosea's character is strong. And he obeys and marries a prostitute named Gomer. He has three children with her, which are all named by the Lord, and they weren't great names. The Lord named His children based off of His displeasure of how Israel has been acting for this extended period of time. After their third child is born, Gomer cheats on her husband Hosea by going back to her lifestyle of prostitution. God allows all of this to illustrate to the nation of Israel how they are acting towards Him. This is a moment of correction, believe it or not. This is a moment for God to say, hey, you are acting like this, and Israel continues to ignore them. And he sends prophets to say, you're acting incorrectly. You're doing things opposite of what I am directing you to do, and they continue to ignore them. And so as a way to correct them, God builds this embarrassing scenario and says, this is what you're doing. This is the equivalent of what you're doing to me. And he begins the process of correcting his children. How does all of this tie into love? Well, God is love. And we have been going over the last several weeks all of these characteristics of love, and there are three that I want to, to, to show you in this passage, of three different characteristics of how love is enacted in God's correction. Number one is this, love is patient. Love is patient. The original word in the Bible for that is defined as this persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles, in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. It also is defined as to be mild and slow in avenging, to be slow to anger and slow to punish. <clears throat> So here's the picture. God has watched his people, the nation of Israel, give their hearts and worship to false gods made of wood and stone. They continually reject him and pursue wicked and selfish lifestyles. They're ignoring his word. And so God God loves his people and he knows they can't continue going this way. And since since he... He corrects those who he loves. He decides it's time for correction. As I was reading this story of of Hosea, I was trying to wrap my head around why in the world would he use this as an example? I mean, isn't there a better idea than this than to have your prophet marry a prostitute and say, hey, this is an illustration here for you to watch? And then it hit me. The reason that God did this is because this is a scenario that every single person in Israel and us here today can put ourselves in and start to understand the heartache and the grief that is felt in this scenario. We can all imagine how, would we, how we, would, we would feel in this same situation. We can imagine the anger, the frustration, and heartbeat. Heartbreak that would be experienced in our own flesh and emotions. And if we were there and heard the story of Hosea, and just imagine for a second that we're friends with Hosea, and he comes in and tells us exactly what his wife, Gomer, is doing. They've had these children, they've built this family, and she wanders back away, away from him, into this life of illicit servitude to other men. If Hosea were to tell me that and as his friend, I would understand and be convinced that he is completely justified in leaving his wife. He would be. He would he'd have a right under the law and no one would blame him for pursuing some type of divorce. And that alone would be devastating. And if you've gone through a scenario like that, man, I, my, my heart goes out to you. And that God can heal you from that, but you understand vividly what this is like. But what's going on with God and His people is not just a one man and one woman, a relationship. It is an entire nation that God has that affection towards that is collectively looking at Him and saying, nah, bro, I'm good. And walking away into their own selfish lustful, evil, wicked desires. God is painting a clear picture for all of us to understand the grief that He's experiencing with His children. In the same way that Hosea has the right to walk away from, from Gomer, God has every right to drop the hammer on Israel, lead them to pursue their own destruction, and never return to them again. But the difference between us and our God is that God is love. And if He is love, He is patient, which means He's slow to anger, slow to avenge, and slow to punish. Instead of wiping out these ungrateful and unfaithful people that he has chosen as his own, he shows loving patience and instead gives them a real-life illustration of how they're acting. I don't know about you, but when my dad corrected me, there was an expectation that, bam, I would have an immediate heart change. I would immediately stop mouthing off to my mom. I'd immediately stop doing these things that he, he was trying to get me to not do. That they would happen immediately. But here's what but I want you to understand that God has been already been so patient with Israel. Decades and decades of this immoral and wicked behavior. And then he sets up this example of Hosea and Gomer in front of them. They have to go through the entire process of having three different children. How long did that take? The Bible is not clear, but we know just from from common understanding it would take several years. So God is so patient in his correcting that he puts a live and in living color example of what they're doing as a subtle reminder to say, hey guys, I know you don't see it, but I'm drawing A picture here for uh, for you. I'm drawing a comparison. This is what you're doing to me. And his patience is well seen in the length of time he allows his correction to extend. God endures Israel's perverse disobedience For several more years as he lovingly uses the life of Hosea to correct them. Why in the world, after all of this time, all of this rejection, all of this doing exactly opposite of what he has told them to do, why in the world doesn't he just say, you know what, you've done this before. You begged me for judges and rulers and kings and we've done all this and it's been a train wreck I've shown you that your own way ends in destruction numerous times and you continue to go back to these other gods. You continue to run away from me. Why at that point doesn't God just go, done? Because at that point, He's got every right to. He's got every right to look at them and say, you're ignoring the correction, but God is patient even in His correction. This is the character of the God that we serve. He is patient, even in correction. Number two, love is kind. The definition for the original word used for kind is to show oneself mild, as in mild-mannered, to be kind and use kindness. So decades of patience, followed by several years of this gentle correction through the life of Hosea, do not compel Israel to repent. They continue to pervert the truth and submit themselves to these false gods. So God's correction is now taken one step further. Instead of destroying Israel, like he has the right to, he takes away their blessings. He takes away their blessings. Hosea 2, 8-13 says this, She, this is God talking about Israel, she doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has. The grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all of my gifts to Baal. But now I will take back the ripened grain and new wine I generously provided each harvest season. I will take away the wool and the linen clothing I I gave her to cover her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while all of her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands." I will put an end to her annual festivals, her new moon celebrations, and her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will destroy her grapevines and fig trees, things she claims her lovers gave her. I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat the fruit. I will punish her for all those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal, when she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, says the Lord. As I look and I read some of these punishments, these correction that's now gone from warning to giving a different course of action to now he's removing these privileges, these these. Um, uh, these blessings that he's bestowed on Israel. He's removing these things, but notice he's still not raising a hand against his children. He's still not doing anything to them. What he's doing is taking things away from them as the next step. And he realizes that this is going to be painful, but it's going to be far less than what Israel deserved. The loving kindness driving God's correction is revealed in the next two verses. Let's look at verse 14 through 16. After God is saying, I'm going to take these blessings and these things I've given away from Israel, He says, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master." God is showcasing unbelievable kindness to His children. To protect them and only take stuff away from them. To get their attention by removing the things that they feel the other gods have given them. These false idols have given them. He shows, and then He takes that kindness to an entire new level by committing that even after He does that, He's going to to woo her back. God doesn't humiliate Israel, take away the blessings, and then leave Israel begging in the street for Him to, to take them back. No, God steps up the loving correction, but makes immediate plans to woo Israel's heart back to Him because He knows It's the best place for them to be. All of this effort, all of this creativity, all of these hoops he is jumping through to show his love and to correct his children. Why does he keep doing it? Why does he even bother? Because God is kind, even in his correction. Number three, love is not irritable. That word irritable in the original language means to irritate, to provoke, scorn, despise, make angry, to exasperate or to burn with anger. And so here we find God who is saying that He's going to take away the blessings as a correction and a punishment for His children. And then over the next several chapters, he details out just how far Israel has fallen away from him. And over those next chapters, he describes Israel like this. They're a dishonest people. Their priests are corrupt. Their national leadership is failing in following the Lord's ways. They love wickedness. Their hearts are corrupt. They are in full-fledged rebellion. They have no innocence. They believe in their own strength. And the list goes on and on and on. At this point, the children of Israel better be really glad that I wasn't God. (laughs) Because I would have lost my patience. I would have lost my kindness a long time ago. This is the point where you've done everything you can do, right? And you look at the people and go, if I'm in God's position, dude, what are you doing? Hello? Moron. Like, just think here. Just use your head. Look at all the things we've been doing. And I would get into a position of raining down on these people. But God doesn't degrade his people with insults. He doesn't say, what is wrong with this big group of idiots? He doesn't say, how long am I going to have to sit around here and wait for these fools to get it right? Nope. Even though he details and digs out just how far they've fallen and they have still yet to change, God relents in destroying Israel. Hosea 11, 8 and 9 sums us up pretty good. God is saying this about His children. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zeboim? I didn't know what those two cities were, but when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Those were the major towns that were destroyed, but there were several other smaller cities around that area that were participating in the same acts of debauchery and wickedness that Sodom and Gomorrah were. And all of those extra cities were also destroyed, and Adma and Zeboiim were two of them. What he's saying here is, you may not be the originator like Sodom and Gomorrah, but you are participating in the same thing. Your close proximity is, is deserving of destruction, but I, how can I destroy you like that? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel for I am God and not a mere mortal and I am thankful for that. I am the Holy One living among you and I will not come to destroy. So God has warned His people through His prophets. He has set up Hosea and Gomer as this long real life illustration of you've gone the wrong way, course correct. He has has taken the, the correction a little bit further in the punishment by removing the blessings and the things that they are so used to having in their life. And now in his final act of correction that's mentioned here in Hosea, God allows Israel to experience some fruit of their disobedience. He allows Israel to experience some fruit of their disobedience. They are attacked by a surrounding army. Some of them are killed. They have sown disobedience and they have reaped destruction. But God doesn't allow their complete annihilation. He is given chance and chance and chance because He is loving, He is patient. He is kind. He's not irritable. He's not exasperated with them and saying, oh, just forget it. He doesn't do that. He allows them to taste just a little bit of the fruit that they have grown in their own life through their disobedience. But the Lord completes the perfect picture of loving correction when the people repent before him. And because love is not irritable or exasperated, the Lord provides loving grace to Israel. And he promises them if you repent, if you turn from this idol worship to me, Hosea fourteen, four and nine details what he will do. The Lord says, Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. For my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like the beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But those, but in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. <clears throat> How in the world does God offer so many levels of correction, deeper and deeper and deeper? How in the world does He love like that? It's because... He is not irritable, even in correction. This story of Hosea shows God's heart and love in the way he corrects his children. And we have a real problem with this in our culture today. We can easily look back at people in the past, and actions of people in the past and not understand anything that they were in the middle of or any nuance or details, but sit from our current day, our current view of morality and what is right and wrong, and point back to people and say, how in the world could you do that? How in the world could those people back then do that? If I was in, that, if I was a, a, in, in Israel at that time, if I was some of those people that were living during Hosea's day, there's no way in the world I would do that. Really. Is there enough love for God in our life that we would stand against the millions of people in that culture and not participate in any way in the things that they have built this environment to say are okay? Okay. I would love to sit here and say, you know what, I would be one of those people. But I'm not absolutely sure that I wouldn't have followed the crowd at least for a while. I can't imagine what it's like to live in that time where God would say, because of my disobedience, my heart is torn within me. It's kind of like when my dad would come to correct me in the time where he wouldn't physically discipline me, he would look at me and say, I'm not going to do anything, I'm just really disappointed. It was worse. I was almost begging for the, for the physical discipline at that point because that would go away in a few moments, but knowing that I had let my father down stuck with me far longer. My question to us today is this We can look back at Israel and look through Hosea and think about all the things that He has that He has lined out for the children of Israel. But let's apply those things, and let's ask our own self the question how many of us have been dishonest? Corrupt, failed in following the Lord's ways? How many of us have loved wickedness, have lived in full-fledged rebellion, have rejected innocence for selfish sensuality, or believed in our own strength? And if I look at that list of what Israel did, the children of Israel, and look at my own life, I have to put my hands up for basically every one of those. And here's the worst part. How many of us did those things even though we knew better? Yeah, that's me. Even though I heard the gospel growing up, even though I was raised in the church, even though I spent time in ministry, I knew what I was doing was wrong and still turned and walked away from the God who was patiently kindly not irritated with me trying to save me from my own end when I think about that and the reality of God's patient kindness and refusal to be irritable it's ultimately humbling. Because as much as I can sit here and say, God had every single right to walk out on the children of Israel, the truth is, He had every single right to walk out on me. But He lovingly corrects us as His children to bring us into a place of submission. as believers in Christ we need to become comfortable receiving perfect correction from a perfect heavenly father Matt how can you say that let me read Solomon Proverbs chapter 12 verse 1 to learn you must love discipline it is stupid to hate correction So if we're going to be His children, we're going to be His disciples, if we're going to pursue after Him the way He has lined out for us in Scripture, we've got to become comfortable with His correction. Because He corrects those He loves. And if He's not correcting us, we're illegitimate children. God doesn't have illegitimate children. He has the ones who have put their faith and trust in Christ and have been reconciled to Him. And if that is you, my friend, correction will come your way because none of us are perfect. When correcting us, we see in Hosea that the Lord may show us an embarrassing situation similar to our own to get us to course correct. He may remove or delay a blessing that we have or are asking for. He may reveal what we are truly doing in the open. He may allow us to experience part of the fruit of our disobedience. Those are just a handful of things that God may use to correct us, but your Father knows how you are designed. And He knows which correction you need To get back on course, God corrected many things in Israel during the time of Hosea, including their affections, their desires, their attitudes, behavior, their thinking, and their words. We can expect God to correct those things in us as well. How will He correct them? He changes our heart. Because everything I just read affection, desire, attitude, behavior, thinking, and words all flow from here. We need to see his correction as the act of a loving and perfect heavenly father instead of an indictment of our failure. I'm going to say that again. We need to see God's correction as the act of a loving and perfect heavenly father instead of an indictment of our failures. We will not be perfect in following the Lord. And the best part is, God already knows it. He already knows that we will not be perfect. When we go the wrong way, He will correct our course. Why doesn't He jump on us and hide behind a cloud and zap us with a lightning bolt from heaven when we do all this stuff that's wrong? Because He's patient. He's kind. He's not irritable even in His correction. This is um, not a message I looked forward to studying for because the Lord really brought some things up for me that needed to be corrected in my own life and my own heart. My assumption here is that I'm presenting this to you because there are some things that the Lord may want to correct And you, if he does, and if he is correcting you, I want you to first let go of the tension, stop wincing, and oh my goodness, here comes the pain. Stop for a second. And if he's correcting you, you should rejoice because your Father in heaven loves you enough to put you on the right path. He loves you enough to to correct some incorrect things that are in us. He loves you enough to discipline you into the best way to live. My challenge for you is that if you are someone who is maybe a leader in an organization, a ministry, a business if you're someone who is in an upper-level management and you deal with people and you have to correct their mistakes, I want to encourage you to go back to God's Word and use the way that He corrects. Use the, the loving approach that He gives in His times of correction. If you're a parent, I want to challenge you. I want you to go back to the Lord and I want you to think of the way that you are correcting your children and I want you to ask Him a question. Am I correcting them from a position of love? Am I correcting them the way you corrected me? And take our correction, our punishments, the way we discipline. And don't line it up against what anybody else says or what anybody else does. But take His word and line our actions up against His word. And if we're not correcting in love the way He's designed for us. I'm going to encourage you to change your approach. I'm going to encourage you in every scenario where you have to be the one who corrects someone else to correct them in the way that God corrected you. My guess is there wasn't a lot of yelling. There wasn't a lot of screaming. There wasn't a lot of frustration or irritability. There wasn't unkind words or lack of patience. No, because God is love and He is all of those things. If you're a parent and you've made a mistake in correcting your children, you know what that makes you? Human. So I don't want you to heap guilt upon yourself because I've done that. In moments where I have corrected not the way that God corrects me in my own scenarios with my own children, my own child, I've had to course correct because we're not perfect and God knows that. But now we have a direction to go as we raise and steward the kids that God has given us. If He needs to correct you, He loves you, and He is doing it for your best and for your good. And just as Hebrews says, it's painful at the moment, but in the long run, you are going to be wildly appreciative of what He fixed and the corner He turned with you. Respond. Submit, obey, and let the word of God and the example of God be alive in all of us as we deal with the people around us.